Property Podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. And we're both property people running our own businesses. And this podcast is just us chatting as we do every Wednesday about anything and everything property, but thinking about it in relation to our property businesses. And just before this recording started, Simon and I were just talking about the property market, obviously, as we often do. And the figures for, for June were out. And unsurprisingly, as as we expected, is the market starting to see a bit of a slowdown. Halifax reporting a, a minus 0.5% decrease month on month versus nationwide's plus 1.7. But there or thereabouts, you know, they're, they're dropping versus May. Although what I always find really interesting is that year on year, it's still June is still plus 8.8%. So it's slowing down, but it's it's still pretty big, isn't it, Simon? It is. It's quite crazy, really. And uh, first of all, I'm, I'm going to make a, a confession. Uh, I haven't read these reports, so, so I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've only read some of the headlines. So, But that means that I'm going to ask you lots of questions about them. So first of all, the actual data what what time period is this data covering because i know there's, there's often a lag for these reports and, and the different reports lag by different periods and things so it's, it's always a bit confusing so what what time periods are these these reports covering so the month on month was for the month of june versus the prior month of may obviously okay yeah so so we're we're obviously in july now so this is looking at data from the whole of june and this is from the or from one of the that's from halifax right okay yeah so, so they're looking at their mortgage applications effectively. So they've got quite up-to-date data. They don't need to wait for the land registry and, and that, that kind of stuff. So yeah. it really is June's data. Okay, excellent. And then the year-on-year figure is exactly that. So it's to June versus prior year. So we're looking at June twenty up June 2020 versus June 2021. Now, I think we're going to get – we're going to start having difficulty comparing year-on-year figures mm. because obviously – 2020's year was very strange <laughs> and the the number of transactions that were happening at this sort of time in 2020 was tiny and that obviously means that, that a lot of the data coming out of it is just just not representative so my next question about these reports is do they talk about that do they mention the fact that the data from 2020 is a bit odd do they look back at 2019 at all or anything like that as a, an extra comparison well, well like you i haven't gone into depth on these so... <laughs> no you're not supposed to admit that at least one <laughs> of us has to have read them <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the this pop of, this episode is crumbling crumbling already but uh, but ha- working in data analytics and analysis myself is uh, what I have seen is yeah absolutely we need to start looking at three year ago data but if if we look at 12 months to that period that still gives us a good indication that you know we are we are comparing to a crazy period of time but the point being that we're still seeing positive growth and even so the thing that that, that always raises my eyebrow is that okay Halifax is is reporting minus 0.5% which is in my my world negligible versus a nationwide plus 1.7 which which again you could say is is negligible so that so that tolerance 
But what they're both kind of saying is that we are stabilising, and that's a kind of a no surprise to any of us that really look at property to see that up to June, the end of June, that the market has slowed for the reasons that, that we're all aware of. But that is probably a note to, to myself, because in other areas where I'd look at data analytics, we are starting to look at 2019 data for a comparative period. And I think that will be more interesting now. Obviously, we're mid, mid-July now onwards to see just how quickly that decrease happens. Because we, we spoke about this a couple of episodes, actually, where we talked about we kind of both agreed that there would be some momentum uh, and it would be interesting to see how quickly that slowdown happens or how quickly that decline happens. Yeah, in, in super prepared form for this episode, I haven't read the reports and I also haven't pulled out any data from Patma, which I really could have done. But the, the little bits that I've observed whilst looking through Patma's data and the changes in it and things surprised me a little bit. So I think a few weeks ago, I talked about uh, seeing an increase in the number of fall-throughs in transactions, so the number of properties that are returning to the market after a few months off the market. And there has definitely been an uptick in in the number of transactions that have fallen through and come back to the, the market. But it's nowhere near as big as I was expecting. It's, I mean, I, I need to look at the, the, the proper full full numbers, but just from the, the bits and pieces I have looked at, it's a noticeable uptick, but really nothing nothing crazy. So I don't know if that means that everyone actually managed to hit the, the stamp duty deadline, or if people are accepting that they're going to pay a little bit more stamp duty, and perhaps the, the government's approach of, of stepping it down gradually has, has worked and, and has taken the, the edge off people being being worried about that extra tax well a personal anecdote for me as as we shared on this podcast i moved into a new build which did complete on the 30th of june congratulations (laughs) thank you and the house builder hadn't finished the garden so we actually moved in with essentially a field of mud and clay and they they laid the grass two days later but we had a giant trampoline on the mud and clay that the people laying the lawn weren't very happy about, but what could we do? But anyway, the point I was going to make wasn't about trampolines. It was about the fact that the house builder clearly was under duress, rightly so, to ensure that all of the properties that they said were going to complete by the end of June did so. So it will be interesting to see the Patma data in terms of those fall-throughs, because again, I've seen personally with, with properties I have, that that has happened uh, on on more than one property, and whether that's people getting cold feet or you know driving towards towards something that they just can't complete, uh, I don't know. I've got some other anecdotal stories on that. So, so I had a couple of properties where one we're aware of the studio flat which fell through. There's another property. Uh, it's a seven bed HMO, which we got the memorandum of sale on. The twenty fifth of February. Okay, so so for context, that's quite a few months. I mean, that's what four months. Four Ish. months, yeah. And I found out last week that the searches, the searches will not complete until around mid September. 
for that property. Hang, hang on. That's, that's quite a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. So September is the, is the ninth month, and you sold that property in the second month of the year. Mm. So searches on that property, I mean, I mean that's, but perhaps they weren't started immediately, but searches are something that starts pretty quickly. So between, between sale and searches complete, we've got seven months. So maybe it took a month for the solicitors to get themselves sorted out and put those search requests in. But that's six months to get the searches back. And, and these are a local authority searches, presumably. That's, that's where the, the delay is. The delay has been with the solicitor. I mean, I, I found it absolutely shocking, to be honest. Obviously, I'm not the purchaser. What I have uncovered... There's a couple of strands to this. Number one is that the estate agent was putting forward their own new expedited search process, of which I know no details, only to know that it's a, potentially a six to nine week process versus a, the longer time periods it takes for standard searches. However, the solicitor, which has been selected based on the bank's the lending bank's preference. We've all been, well, I've certainly been down that road and I know of this solicitor, but I'm not, I'm not going to name names just yet because we're still in the process. So I don't want to rattle too many cages, even though I really want to. <laughs> they, they ignored that because they said, we don't want to do your newfangled expedited process. We'll do our own. But I was told that the searches were going to complete on the 23rd of June, followed up on the 23rd of June. And I even sent an email to the estate agent saying, isn't the purchaser worried about missing the stamp duty holiday at all no response so there's a couple of issues going on here lack of response from a state agent shock horror but when i did follow this up a couple of weeks later they then broke the news to me and i've obviously started spitting feathers saying well if i was the buyer i'd be really bloody concerned that these searches haven't happened in a few months long story short the searches only got requested a few weeks ago so back end of June and date of September. And my conversation with the solicitor, sorry, the estate agent, was pretty much, well, where, what do I, where do I go with this then? Because now I have to wait at least two and a half months for the searches. If I put the property back on the market, you've got to relist it. You've got to do viewings. It's, a, it's an HMO. There's people living there. So, you, you kind of put me in a rock and a hard place. You know, you put me between a rock and a hard place now because I can say, yeah, we're going to remarket. I'm not waiting anymore, but it's probably going to take me more than three months to do that. Or I sit and wait for these searches and then something else could come out of which we're unaware of or the, or the buyer then just suddenly say, oh, do you know what? We've waited eight months. Screw this. We'll, we're going to do something else. So I said, what do you expect me to do? So, I mean, I've done all of that, but it's, it's it's unbelievable. That's just super frustrating, isn't it? I mean, when you when the solicitors must know that searches are taking a bit longer than they they normally do, to then sit on it for all that time before even submitting the searches. So my initial calculation of a six month search was actually completely wrong. It's it's actually much more reasonable than that. It's only a three ish month search return period. But the solicitor sat on it. I mean, that's just oh, appalling. It, it is appalling. I think some of the delay, 
not to defend them, but some of the delay, I think they got paid the money for this. Let's say April, but they didn't action it immediately. As far as I'm concerned, this is this is malpractice. And I, and I sort of obviously there's only so much I can do as the vendor. But I said to the estate agent, if I were the buyer, I would be complaining to a big degree to the to the bank to say, you've asked me to use this solicitor. And we look, we all know that they're under a lot of duress towards the end of June. But to kick off a search, I don't know. I don't know how long that takes. I think, you know, this is for me, malpractice in the extreme. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know exactly what's involved in submitting a search either, but you can't imagine it's very involved, or indeed that it takes a, a particularly senior solicitor or anything. Surely it could be done by by a, a, an admin type person who, yeah, who should sort of be doing these things all day, every day. And oh dear, yes. Well, I think I think that's a that's a that's a guest for us, isn't it? I think if if anyone listening is a solicitor in the conveyancing process. Please do contact us because we, we genuinely would like to understand this process because from our, our side, it seems like a, a fairly administrative task, uh, appreciating that there are legalities around it, which is why it needs a professional to manage that process. I totally accept that. But we'd love to understand a little bit more about that. So, so maybe that's something we will also have a look for. Yeah, definitely. That, I think that would be, be good to, to better understand the inside story of that. You're, have you spoken to your buyer? Are they happy to stick with it for the time being or, or are they uh, uh, getting getting wobbly at all or upset about the stamp duty or anything? Well, my understanding is no. So we, obviously we've passed that that point. No one responded to me on that. I, I, I guess like a lot of us, you kind of just have to shrug and get on with it because that's the process. One thing the estate has done is shared with me an email chain where I can see that the the, the purchaser has made a lot of waves about it because I've started making sounds like, you know, do I need to do I need to end this and move on? And I can see from the email chain that the, the, the buyer does really want to buy the property and they're still in it. So, and that's what I'm being told. So that is why I'm sort of happy to stick with it. Well, that's promising at least. So yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully they'll stick with it even through the extra extra few months. And I suppose that the longer they stay in the process, it, it may well be that. The, the, the more committed they feel to it as well i hope so yeah and that's my hope is that because i know what i'm like and it, it depends doesn't it if another opportunity arises that that could threaten the transaction however there is now a sunk cost element isn't there so they've agreed on a property back in february they've now paid for searches so that so they have paid for these things they've invested time and money so i'd i hope that that starts to build up i mean We've all we've all had to pull out having spent money before, but yeah, hopefully this one still goes through. But just uh, an anecdote there of the challenges in conveyancing. Anecdote come rant, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Let's let's be honest, it was a rant. <laughs> well, I hope you feel better. <laughs> I do. Good Th- therapy by podcast. <laughs> so, and sorry for everyone having to listen to that, <laughs> especially the solicitors. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we we should probably move on to something uh, something le- less rantish. <laughs> yes. Well, the other topic that we were talking about before was Kickstarter, and I wasn't aware that you too were looking for a Kickstarter because it's something I've progressed. So, w- where are you on that process? Uh, well, I have been approved for a Kickstart grant, which means I can I can now try to to hire somebody 
And so something that something that Patma is lacking in is good documentation. So I mean, Patma does so much. There are so many features and so many facilities within Patma, and the, the documentation is woefully inadequate at covering all of these things, or indeed many of them at all. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping to recruit someone who can come in and write lots of documentation, put together some screencasts, and really improve the the quality as well as the, the quantity of information so that people who are using Patma can have that extra sort of support and discoverability of, of how to do things rather than rather than just having to click randomly through through the application. I wonder if perhaps we should take a, a step backwards though and talk about what this Kickstart stuff is. So Stuart, would you like to give give an intro to, to what the Kickstart scheme is? Yeah, it's it's quite a simple one. It's um it's a scheme for employers, so anyone that em- that would employ someone that has a role, the government will provide funding for them to employ a 16 to 24-year-old based on minimum wage and 25 hours a week. So essentially, the Kickstarter scheme will help you and will provide that person or persons for 25 hours and and therefore there's no cost to you or your business. Uh, They will also provide a grant of up to about £1,500. I think, no, sorry not about, it will provide a grant of £1,500 to provide costs for obviously everything that you'd need to employ someone, potentially like laptop, um, you know, stationery, anything else that they'd need. So it's something that I, I had applied for as well. And that, that, that kind of is it in a nutshell. The question I was going to ask you was, did you do this directly? So you can do this directly with the Gov website, which I did. And you can also do it via an agency, which I did also. So which which route did you go? When the scheme was first launched, you could only apply directly if you were if you had thirty or more roles that you were wanting people for. And if you wanted, if you only if you're a small business and you had one or two roles or what have you, you had to go through an agency who would then amalgamate lots of smaller businesses together so that they were then applying for thirty or more roles. However, a few months into the scheme. The government changed this approach and enabled anyone or any business to apply, even if you just have one one role that you're wanting to to, to fill with this. And uh, I initially explored doing it through through an agency, but but didn't end up progressing that. So in the end, the the application route that I took was applying individually, directly on the the Gov website. And the process is actually relatively smooth. They ask you some slightly odd questions that take a bit of thinking to to work out how you're going to respond to but it's mostly around a bit of background on your business uh, a bit of background on the the role checking that this role that you're asking the kickstart scheme to help you fill is not one that you you could fill any other way so not one that you're going to sack a contractor or sack somebody else for in order to then employ someone different through the kickstart scheme that that sort of thing it's quite straightforward though i mean i think it took me two hours something that region to to pull all the information together think about what i wanted to say and fill in the actual form and get that that initial submission off and it then took mm, probably in the region of a month 
to get the the result back with them saying I've been been approved for the for the scheme. So how how was your application experience, Stuart? Yeah, and so, and sorry, just before I do answer that, it is the the other important point to note is that that the the government covers that for six months, so it's not a it's it's not a ad infinitum uh, grant. Yes, actually, perhaps we should just while we're talking about the financial side of it, perhaps we should just say, as you said, it's a six month placement, it's national minimum wage, and it's twenty five hours a week. That that's what the grant will cover, plus the fifteen hundred upfront. However, as an employee sorry as an employer you can choose to pay more than national minimum wage and you can choose to employ the person for more than 25 hours a week exactly if if you wish but then it just means obviously you as the employer is paying that extra amount rather than the the government grant covering it so this is actually personally i i believe this is is a generally good opportunity for both parties it's of course, we see it as a, as a way to get some resource into the business. And given that this podcast is the business of property, both Simon and I you know, really think about how we can start growing the business. And Simon's already touched on why he's employing a Kickstarter. And my reasons are very similar because when there's only one or two of you, I, I do now have uh, an employee in the company, it's very hard to keep on top of everything that you need to do. And my experience is, is is very similar to Simon's. It's just actually, could we get someone in to help with the administrative uh, elements? And if we can do that for free, or you know, the, the last person I employed, we did pay slightly more because I, I wanted to. And I, this is about how can we get helped by the government, and how can we help other people? That's kind of how I see this. And you know, if, if we get the right person, great. And the final caveat on it is that there is no obligation to keep that person. For me, I see this as like any other recruitment process, which is it, it, it could work, it might not work, but that's just down to personalities. But the benefit, of, of course, is that the risk is reduced to us as businesses because the government would be funding it. So my experience was I did apply to the government because I, I had spoken to an agency that, that was running this and collecting, I think it was the 30 that you mentioned, uh, applications. And I felt that, was, that I was getting a bit lost. Anyway, I applied to the government and I did actually apply via an agency, but I just didn't hear anything back. And then I got an email from the, the government to say that my application had failed, essentially. And the funny thing was I then, because I then had the mindset of recruiting. So I guess this is another halo benefit, if you like, of this process. I said, well, actually, I do want a person. So I'm going to go out and recruit someone and did that for two and a half days a week but of course the day that I recruited someone and offered her the job was the day I got and then got another email saying you've been accepted into but via the agency but my, my personal experience is that I followed up a couple of times so we got accepted maybe a few months ago now probably in in May beginning of May and only last week actually did I get the first email to say that they've got one person they've put forward for the role uh, and as I was telling you pre-record, the email itself is is very ambiguous because it just says this this person we believe is suitable for the role, but you may or may not hear from them. So I don't I don't really know what that means whether whether someone's actually going to apply for the role. No, I think it's because these are people who are on universal credit as well. This is one of the other sort of requirements of this. They're referring people who are who are claiming benefits. It's I think this is the the two stages to the actual application process. So 
actually, I'll take a step backwards. So once you've been approved for the grant, you then have to submit your, your actual job description and the, the, the requirements you have for, for someone you want to employ and things. And so you submit that, that goes to the DWP, and then they list that on their, their systems. And from that, they can refer um, benefit claimants to your, your job. And I think that's probably the email that you've, you've got. Well, that is the point. That is the point. It's, it's a referral. So obviously I'm being a slightly flippant, but, but it is a referral that they've referred a candidate or a potential candidate to you. But that candidate, in inverted commas, is under no obligation to apply for your role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think from what I've, I've read and, and spoken to other people about, you you should probably expect 50 to 60% of people who are referred to actually submit an application. So it's it's not a great hit rate, but but it's, it's not terrible. I'm, I'm interested. It, it sounds like quite a long time since you put in your, your job description to now have a a candidate were you were you very restrictive in what you asked for or, or and also were you looking for homeworking or someone office based or what, what what sort of requirements did you put on your your job yeah it's a really good question the the requirements and this is what i'm i mean you've you've really hit on something which is quite pertinent because what i am considering at this very moment is maybe revising that job description because it's leaning towards operations so i think the title is operations assistant and I think it it could be construed as something a lot more technical than it is so I might need to revise it as administrative assistant because because of the role that it is and the people that you're potentially going to get in for me it was around actually what can they support with very similar to you you know we've got um, software that we use for the business in terms of keeping all of the properties up to date making sure that we've got the licenses the compliance so really it's it's probably a lot of form filling and excel spreadsheet completing you know all that kind of stuff Uh, and that's the role but i think maybe because i've put operations in the title i think sometimes you use a word like that and it sounds more technical than it is might be scaring people off you mean yeah yeah and i I mean that with the best of intentions that, that people might um you know see that and think that they need a lot more experience and of course again we're we're looking at 16 to 24 year olds so that is not the expectation but also maybe the people referring it are looking at it thinking oh no this person wouldn't would be a fit so uh, so that's probably a learning to share with other people is is actually how do we simplify it and of course the documentation that the, the government asks you for is very formulaic so that probably took me down a certain path that I, I didn't necessarily want to go to originally but yeah, that, that was my learning. So have you, so you've, you've done yours, your um, job description. Yeah, my job description is, is submitted and I'm just waiting for the, the masses of candidates to start rolling in or, or maybe not. Yeah, it, so I, I actually submitted my, uh, my, my job description about seven days ago. So, so yeah, it will. I, I don't really know how long the delay is between submitting that job description and it actually sort of going live on their systems and being ready for people to to be referred and and hopefully apply so so yeah i i I have no idea what to expect 
I think this is perhaps one of the benefits of going through an agency is someone who's done this lots and you can sort of ask them questions and say, what, what should I expect here? But uh, yeah, wait and see now. And hopefully, hopefully I'll get some some good good candidates applying and, and be able to start start doing the interviews soon. But, uh, but alternatively, maybe it'll be another couple of months, but we'll see. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll keep everyone posted on, on what we do. And I, my final view on it is it's if, if you've got a, a property business where you're running multiple properties, then for me, it, it was a no-brainer because if someone's offering to fund that and you can get someone in that's good, it's amazing just how much that can expedite the business. So there is, it is kind of, there is nothing to lose other than, of course, a bit of your time in in respect of training and so on and and there was someone else that 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 I know that's got it running a small business and was saying well but what if I get someone that's really bad or you know and and I've wasted time on the interviewing process and I said well, well do you need someone and they said well yes and I said, well that that's the case whatever you do whether you use the kickstarter scheme or not that is okay maybe that you might have a, a greater bias in that area because they're because they're coming off universal credit. But for me personally, that isn't a reason to exclude it because I think the uh, the opposite can also be true, that you just find someone that's really good. And we, like we said before, you know no obligation to keep them. But uh, we, we've probably hit our ceiling in terms of timings for, for episodes, but we will keep people posted about this because I think it is quite a good opportunity for those of us running property businesses. And... Uh, hopefully this chat has been useful to those of you listening if it has as always please do leave us a rating and review it really does help us and support the show other than that all of the links and information that we talked about will be shared in the show notes and also at thebusinessofproperty.com other than that we'll see you next wednesday